I've never been musically inclined to play music. I've never tried really. I mean, I, I'm sure I had piano lessons when I was younger and that was fine, but that's definitely something I knew I, I couldn't do, but I love to help people and help musicians because I love music so much that it's like such a great pairing to be like, I can be on the business side and I can help these people who are amazing at their art and don't know the business as well. So all I want to do is like add to that. Welcome to Off Key, a member on LAPS podcast about music professionals for non-music professionals. I'm your host, Linda Arnold. Join me, an industry novice, in conversations with members of Canada's music industry to learn more about their roles and how they first got started in the music business. This week on Off Key, I'm chatting with Lisa Logatenko, who's the Vice President of Bedlam Music Management and Dine Alone Records. Lisa also very recently moved into the role of Vice President of the Canadian branch of The Orchard, which is a music distribution company. From studying sciences at the University of Toronto to working with artists such as Alexis on Fire, Bedouin Sound Clash, and City in Colour, to name a few, Lisa has had such an incredible career in the music industry and had so many wonderful stories to share. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe to Offkey on your favorite listening platform and leave us a review. They really do help. Now let's get right into my chat with Lisa Lagatenko. I grew up in Brampton, Ontario, and lived there basically my whole life. I lived in Toronto when I went to U of T for like one year, but lived in Brampton every other year like before and after that. And then I just moved to Caledon, which is like 15 minutes north of Brampton, like a year ago. So just like a forever Brampton person, I guess. (laughs) I definitely am not, I don't want to live in the city. It's like my, my head is so busy as it is. And if I was in the city, I feel like I would never be able to shut off. So I need to escape to the suburbs to get that like a little bit of peace, but it's definitely a completely different, um, different like vibe than being in, in the city for sure. But I like land. I have kids too. I have two kids. So, um, I like having space for them to run around and not be cramped in an apartment or something, but also you're close enough that and you work in the city so you get that stimulation anyways should you ever need it and like yeah exactly it's just it gets difficult when I have to go out at night to shows and things like that and trying to figure out like okay how do I get home am I going to be drinking or am I not and having to plan that out ahead of time yeah I imagine that probably gets pretty complicated (laughs) yeah and then like ubers are great like they're the best but then I've had so many bad experiences where like because driving back to the suburbs, it's not that far, but some of them just have not driven on highways before. And I've been scared for my life like multiple times. And then it just like now that I'm in Caledon, it's that much further and that much off, like further off the beaten path. Like I'm not right off a highway. It's like you got to drive down some like country-ish roads. And so, it, yeah, it's just a little, little creepier being in a random Uber. Yeah, 100%. So you said that you studied at U of T for a year. Were you studying something to do with music or is that totally unrelated? No, I went into U of T for like science. Oh, okay. (laughs) And I 
I was always, it's weird. I, in high school, I always had friends that were in bands and, and like when I was working on, uh, I was in a computer class and we had to pick a project to make on like with a, like make a computer program basically and learn some programming techniques. And so I was making with my partner an easy band organizer, which was like, at that point I hadn't done much with bands, but it was just, I was already like, Oh, this is like, I know how to organize bands. So then I just like was doing that in high school. And then, um, but that didn't necessarily help me figure out what to do in life. So I basically was just like, okay, well now I have to choose what school I go to. I'm just going to pick sciences because I have good marks and I don't know what to do. And then I started thinking, I want to be a forensic scientist because I love certain shows. I love investigating things. And like, so when I was trying to, in my head, I was like, I'm going to try to do the forensic course at U of T. And I slowly was like figuring out what I liked and didn't like in different classes. And I really liked psychology, but I had like, I didn't get good enough marks to get into the forensic program when I did apply. And, and, uh, and then I went to school for, I don't know, I'd say, I guess another couple of years. And then I didn't, I switched my majors. So I never actually graduated from university. Um, I ended up going on tour instead so I had friends that were in bands all throughout and, and then I ended up getting a boyfriend that was in a band and I just was like drawn to it. And then, yeah, I would just go on tour with bands and, and tour manage and sell merch because I was just found that I like loved, I was super organized and loved organizing other people's lives. And it was, yeah, it was like the best experience to figure stuff out it's always so hard to know what you want to do. And until you like try different things, you can't get to know what it is that you're good at or what you actually like doing and what industry it's in. So there's certain things that I could, I was like, Oh, well I like, I like whatever working on Excel, (laughs) which sounds so nerdy, but it's like, I would like doing that. (laughs) Yeah. So I could do that in so many different industries would I be bored doing it in a lot of them? Probably. So somehow I found my way to do it in an industry that keeps everything exciting and and interesting. And that I was like passionate about the the stuff I was putting into Excel (laughs) and everything else that I was like dealing with surrounding it. So even though I could be doing the exact same tasks that somebody does at, I don't know, at like a box making factory or something, I'm I'm working with music and that just makes, you know, keeps my motivation up, keeps me like engaged in it. It just like keeps my mind going and, and like touches on the creative side of things too, which is the best. And so, yeah, I toured for like five years and went around the world, except for, I didn't get to go to Australia on tour, but I had gone to Europe and a bunch of different countries there and the U S and Canada a ton. And uh, yeah, it was great. But at a certain point, I was like, I don't want to live out of a suitcase. And I had met tons of people. And then as I was like, deciding like, okay, I don't really want to do this anymore. Uh, What should I be doing? And like, I like 100% know I want to work in the music industry now. It's like now I'm like, all the knowledge I gained and everything I'd been around, I was just like, I have I want to do this in whatever way it is. So 
whatever job it is. And I was like, I just need to stop touring. And then I, um, some of my friends had started a management company and they were working with Alexis on fire and, uh, Beto and Soundclash. And so I was talking to them. And so mainly, uh, Joel, who was the main manager and like owns the companies. So I started telling him that I wanted to come off the road and, and, uh, and he was like, well, why don't you come work for me? I'm like, okay. And it started out like part-time and I had an, so I had another job. Uh, so when I stopped touring, I started part-time with him on the management side of things. And then I also worked for outside music, um, who's a distributor and, and a record label. And so I got to do, I probably was with outside for like a month or so. And maybe it was like two months. And then I decided like I wanted to put my full energy into the stuff with Bedlam and what then became Dynalone. So it, it kind of like, you know, as I was seeing the different worlds and the different tasks I was doing and, and what I was involved in, I was just like, okay, this is where I see I can, I can be a part of it more. I can help more. I know I can bring something to it on the management side. And, and it's like, was super exciting. And all my touring experience just helped a ton with that. So uh, yeah, so then I just dove right in and, uh, and then this is like 15 years later, <laughs> but like, yeah, so much happened in that. And we, uh, I'm, I don't know how I, how deeply you want me to just keep going on about this. Oh, I love this stuff. Yeah. Go as deep as you'd like. <laughs> okay. So, um, I guess let's, so I started sort of focusing on the management side of the company. This is at um, Bedlam now, Dine Alone, right? Yeah. So s- currently it still is like Bedlam is the management company and Dine Alone is the record is the main record label. So the management company, we so we had Alexis on Fire and Better and Sound Clash and then City and Color, which at the time Dallas was, it was like just his side project. And so Dine Alone was created to put out the city and color records. So we didn't have to go to like major labels or anything to do it, but it was supposed to just be a side project, which turned into such a huge thing and did so well, um, which is incredible and amazing. And yeah, it definitely like helped sort of start that, that label that was being put together to help Dallas. And then also like whatever other artists we kind of liked that we wanted to put out and then bands that we were managing, we started just putting out through the label. And, uh, and then at a certain point, like we had somebody else kind of running the label at first. And then we, we decided that we wanted to handle it ourselves. So we kind of took it back and then it just, yeah, started growing from there. And we just, we were managing artists and then we had me and Joel were kind of touching on the label stuff, but we had other staff doing it. And then it, it just became more a part of everything we were doing that we were more engaged in it. And I just became way more a part of all of the businesses. And then we grew more businesses. Like we started a heavy label uh, called new damage records. And we started an electronic label called Haven sounds. Um, we started a food company. Oh, wow. Because we liked hot sauce. Okay. And it just kept any kind of opportunities we had and things we just kept wanting to do things that we loved. And like, so there's so much music out there. And when you have a label, it's hard to know, like, 
okay, am I just going to focus? Like, is this the genre I want to be in? Right. And there's tons of labels that are like super genre focused and Dynalone wasn't so much that it, it's like kind of everything that we like. And it's, you know, it ranges from like heavier stuff to like harder rock stuff to folk and like country leaning or like melodic, uh, like, I don't know, spacey music and, um, psych stuff. And it's like all over the place. So we weren't focused on just creating, like putting it in this sort of genre, like specific place. It is all like rock centric, but, um, and then, but then we found like me and Joel have been in like the punk rock scene our whole lives. And we were around so much heavy music and loved so much heavy music that like a lot of it we were seeing wasn't, didn't have a good home in Canada. And so we were just like, Oh, what do we, we got to do something to like to help these bands now. So what do we do? Okay. We'll just start a heavy label because for them, there's more of a, you know, to, to the community matters so much more in the, the heavy world and say in like a punk world or in specific genres like it definitely helps if you have that community and you build that community and you have all these bands that are friends and all these people that come to shows and like everybody's kind of paying attention so it's like we we wanted to create that kind of thing so we started doing new damage and we had all these bands coming across our plate but we were like ah oh, this doesn't it's a bit too heavy for dine alone and it doesn't totally fit and and even now there's still releases that come across that we're like we don't know which one to put it under um cuz it could fit on Dynalone, but it could also fit on New Damage. And so it's just like a constant process trying to figure out what that is and and continuously like build both of them. And then yeah, the on the management side, we've gone like we've added more managers to the fold and then we've scaled back and we've had more bands and then we scaled back. And so right now it's the basically the focus is is sitting color and Alexis but we had worked with a ton of other bands and it was always like, like management to me was such a special thing because you get to be a part of everything. You're, you're a part of planning the artist's career. You're not just putting out a piece of music. It's like you're surrounding yourself with everything. It's their tours. It's their merch. It's their like things related to publishing. It's like, and their writing and what they want to be as an artist and where they want to go. And, and it's, uh, and so like, I've never been musically inclined. <laughs> I've never been able to play music. I've never tried really. I mean, I, I'm sure I had piano lessons when I was younger and that was fine, but that's definitely something I knew I, I couldn't do, but I love to help people and help musicians because I love music so much that, it's like such a great pairing to be like, I can be on the business side and I can help these people who are amazing at their art and don't know the business as well. So all I want to do is like add to that. And, uh, and that was like, you know, how we, as management, you're like, you're part of all of it, whether it's like good or bad, emotional or whatever it's, you know, so there's, it's great. Cause you're, there's so much, more to everything you're doing but then there's times where you're like oh my god this is like my life like it's 24 hours a day it's not you're always available fans will call you whenever which again it's like you just have to be the right person to be able to do that and 
I've always like had that sort of, you know, built like building things and growing things um, in, in a different way and being a part of every part of it has always been something that's like been like a huge part of sort of driving where I go with what I'm doing and, and being able to help them the most that I can. So yeah, it's, and then I guess on the label side, it like, it kind of was a different view and, and, uh, but you're still a huge part of, you know, everything related to the record release. And, you know, in a, a bunch of cases, you are related to the building the artist brand and, and their, more their career, not just a single release. It just depends. It depends who the manager is and how engaged they are with you and, and what they expect of a label or what they need of a label. So, yeah, I've had, like, bits and pieces of everything. I've always wanted to, like, start a publishing company, too, because... That was always something that I find like there's not a ton of people in the industry that know a lot about it. And the people that know it are in it. But there's a lot of like managers that don't know enough about publishing and a lot of label people that don't know enough, even just like basic stuff. And I've always just wanted to figure out like anything that I've learned, I've I've kind of figured it out myself or talked to other people and learned from them. There wasn't like an easy way to just like how do I take a crash course on this and make sure that, you know, it's kind of giving me the best view of what it really is. Like publishing's always been this weird thing that's just hard for people to get. And uh, what is publishing in music? <laughs> um, it's, it's like helping me. So like in terms of, I guess, like the publisher is the one that's sort of helping the writer and whether that's like, you know, write more songs with other people, getting that person, um, you know, focusing on the music that they have created and getting it out to like licensing it to TV and film and stuff like that. Uh, they're part of helping like create the music in a way. Um, the label can be too. So it just, it depends if you have a publisher and how engaged they are. And a lot of people are self-published, so they don't have this entity or person or whatever kind of helping them in this other world and like when you manage an artist that artist can write a song and it might be perfect for their their band that they are or whatever that persona is but it but it might not be and it might be perfect for somebody else and sometimes like I mean I know in in the punk rock world it was always hard to find bands that were open to writing with other people and and open to like you know pairing up with others and things that everybody was like is pretty stuck in their ways and uh but I think nowadays more people are opening up to that and it just like like I believe it like just opens your mind up to to ideas and different you know styles of music and different ways to do music and things like that so I see it as like a learning experience so if an artist is is into trying that they can get so much out of it and the publishers help, you know, pair up people, um, together to write. They, they sometimes set up like writing camps and things like that. And they'll send different artists down to try to do work with different people and see what comes out of it. But yeah, they're kind of, they're looking out for the, the writer and helping them sort of grow themselves. So even if you're, if it's like, you have a band of four guys. One of those guys might be 
the one that writes most of the songs. And he might sit at home writing songs all day, every day. And not all of them might fit for that band. So it's like, what else do you do? And when you manage an artist that has, that wants to do all sorts of different things and wants to be a part of everything, there's just so much more you can do with them. You're not just writing a record and putting it out. You're like, okay, what, what other creative outlets do you want? Do you want to produce a record? Do you want to write with these other people? Do you want to go try and you, you normally do pop song or punk songs, but you want to go try and do a pop song with somebody like that's totally, I don't know. It just, you know, keeps everything industry interesting and keeps everybody learning. So it's a, it's a, it's a piece of that team, but not everybody has that piece and, or understands what the value is of it either. So, and publishing like in general, there's a whole bunch of royalties and things that you can collect that like certain bands don't even know. Um, there's like one thing that I always want to tell every young band that I can find. And at a certain point, this isn't going to matter as much anymore because downloaded music is not the, uh, the new way, (laughs) but CSI or this like organization CMRA in Canada collects digital mechanicals for artists. And if you're not registered with them, the label doesn't get that money to give to you. You have to go through this organization to get it. And so if there's an artist that, or band that put out a song on iTunes, um, like five years ago, and that was where they sold all their music, this organization exists where they should sign up so they can get their mechanical royalty, which is, um, a a royalty given to the writers of the song and they would get it. And if they didn't sign up, they just won't get it. (laughs) So there's, yeah, there's all these like little places to get weird bits and pieces of money that not everybody knows about. And, and publishers definitely help you find those all around the world because they exist in every territory. and, And now that everything's so much more global, you might not be paying attention to what's happening in say France or somewhere, but there might be things there, little bits of money floating in from something. It's funny. Cause like in, you know, like literature, obviously we're so aware of publishers and their roles and like, we know that that's a thing and that's a job and that's a thing that's in the business, but with music, I've never really thought about it before. Yeah. So that's really cool to learn. And it's, I guess it's different. Like in, in the book world, a publisher kind of yeah is like a label. It seems. Whereas the role is kind of split in the music world. You touched on this a little bit, but what, I guess, in regards to running the label, were some of the challenges with growing it and kind of developing it at, because of the big push towards, you know, first illegal downloads and then now digital streaming as like the main way people consume music and kind of how, how did you guys try to either overcome these challenges or minimize them? I think our challenges are more uh, surrounding artists and our passion for music and how much we give to it and then whether that artist stays or not with the label. The The challenges surrounding the industry was we came in at a certain time and I think things had already started to shift. We didn't, We weren't in the industry at the time when like we were like right on the edge when it was like all the this huge money was being given to people so we weren't and because we were an independent label or we are we're we, we're not like caught up in this other sort of world where all this money's being thrown out at people just to like have them work and all these like 
private planes and whatever else, like this whole other like crazy world is happening. So all of the, everything that happened, it's almost like we were, we were growing at the same time that it was coming in. So we, we were adapting to it. It never really hit us because we didn't start in like, we didn't start at the top in the, you know, the old world. So it, it kind of like, you know, like we, we had to grow the label and the brand in the beginning, just as it was. And so it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, as we got the brand growing, we were just, it was like, we were still growing, even though all that stuff was happening. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Cause it wasn't like a pivot from like A to B. Yeah. Now it's, you know, now we're seeing almost more change, like in very recent times, like um, just especially with like our genre focus was like mostly rock related acts. And there's just, you know, we have to think about different campaigns and the way we're getting people to care about rock again and, and where's it going? And it just uh, like, that's been a challenge now is just how we continue to get people to be looking out for rock. There's not as many rock playlists on the streaming services as there are other popular playlists that have to do with pop or R&B or rap or hip hop or whatever it is. And you go to the top charts and there's like, I would say almost never a rock band in there in the top charts. So that's been like somewhat challenging and figuring out the world, but it's weird because it's challenging. And then there's also things that make it easier and things that make it better because you know, catalog titles are getting more love and you're making money off of them before, like when before you never would, it's like somebody would go into a CD store, buy a CD, they go home and they play it and they can play it till it's like forever until it like wears out. And they might never buy that CD again. Whereas now they're listening to this music again. And now this person is getting paid because it's being listened to. And if it was just in the CD world, they never would have saw money for that record ever again. So it's like, it opens up these weird other doors and you start to see like, Oh, okay. Well like, you know, and a band will put out a new record and people go back and listen to the old stuff. So you're like thinking about, okay, well, how am I tying in the old stuff? Cause now it, it just matters that much more. Everything's so accessible. You're not like looking for that older CD in your pile of CDs or it's not downloaded. Like everybody has the biggest music collection they could ever have hoped for. And it makes it super easy to listen to new stuff and old stuff and and find stuff to a certain extent. I mean, I think the internet and YouTube and all the other services are still kind of help with like research and investigation and like just kind of finding new things. But yeah, it's, uh, that's, I'd say challenging that like just the genre change and figuring out, um, because radio matters, but it doesn't matter as much anymore for certain things but it still like means a lot to us in the alternative world. But the demo is different too. Like the people that are listening to radio are, are a certain breed. So it's like, and fit like, you know, into a certain age group mostly. And so like the younger kids coming up might have no idea what radio even means because it's all on, on their phone or whatever. So 
they're listening to these streaming services and they might, you know, once certain car things change and in the car, there's no radio anymore or whatever happens, it's only like the streaming services coming through and hopefully Sirius XM sticking around too. And that continues to exist. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting to see like what's going to happen with this like next kind of generation and because there's still so much great music and young kids are making amazing music and it's like, how is everybody finding it and trying to figure out how, how to get to those people. But yeah, it's, I think like going back to the challenges of the label at the beginning and kind of along the way, there was two main things with putting, we would put our life into it and sometimes it'd be the best thing ever because there'd be a great reward. And sometimes it would just, it would be a bummer because whether that, you know, if that band didn't want to work with you anymore, or if they just changed direction or if they just didn't want to be a band anymore, it would be like heartbreaking because, you know, you're not in the band, but you feel a part of it. You, you know, you're helping them, you're pouring, putting everything into it. And, uh, and that, can just shift. So that affects you. Cause it's, it's like, you know, if I was again, going back to my box making factory example, if I was just making a box, I don't think, I mean, Hey, maybe some of the people making boxes have like this crazy passion for it, but it's, but like if that box just like broke might be fine. But in the music industry, I'm like, Oh, if the, if that, if that record that you think is the best record ever doesn't like hit and the people that you were really hoping would love it, don't love it. And whatever else happens, it's like that can, it just affects you so much. Yeah. It's so personal. Yeah, totally. But yeah. then the other thing was like figuring out how to, like we were, we started as a label focused on being there for our management clients. And so there was just a moment where we kind of had to consciously be like, okay, you know, bands, you know, we, we might be working with these bands forever and we might not be. So what do we, what do we do to make sure that we're, you know, supporting the most stuff we can and it's not just surrounding our, our managed acts and that there's like, you know, something that we can build and there's, there's acts that maybe we like and bands and music that we love, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, they don't need as much help as the people we're managing or they don't want it or, maybe we don't feel that we want to put that much time and effort into it on like, we don't want to have enough time on the management side to put into that record, but we still love the record and we still want to be a part of it in some way. It'd be like, okay, well the label kind of helps do that. Cause there's so many records that we love and so much music out there that, but you can't manage it all because managing an artist takes up so much time and energy. So the label was like the perfect thing to be like, okay, you're involved, but you're not as like 24 seven involved as you are as a manager. So we can work with lots, lots of stuff in a different way and still be connected to it all. How do you kind of set boundaries for yourself outside of such like a 24 seven job? Ooh, that's like, can you, that's tough. I'd say I am not a good person to ask about that. I'm probably, I love work so much. And I think that, I think maybe in the last like year I've started, a lot of people would say to me, like, you need to, you need to like 
think about your life and family, like, and like take some time for yourself. And I was like, yeah, but everything I'm doing is for myself. Like all the work stuff, like I love it so much. And it's such a part of me that I I can't, I'm not, I can't stop. Like it's, what do you mean? Take time. Like, and it's like, as my kids are growing older, you know, like I'm just, I see more how valuable every minute is. Um, it's hard. There's like different people, right? Everybody's has a different personality. And like, I have friends that have to, you know, they, they would sit at home with their newborn and just be there and stare at it all day. And like, be it at its every beck and call and like continuously do that for years and they love it and they need it. And that's like how they had to be. I was like, I can't, I can't sit here and do that. I'm like, I love my children, but I was like, I need to, to still be back at work. I'm like, it was a huge part of me. It like made me who I am. And it, I like, I think it makes me a better mom to be in a better headspace. And it always kind of kept my head straight to stay focused on work as well. But it, but again, it just means that time is taken. Right. And that's, and when you, I guess like being a manager, it's like a whole, it is, it's a whole other thing. If you there, I've had employees at my record label that, you know, they come in, they do their job, they leave and that's awesome for them. And that's great. And there's people that like, you know, need things to be that way. And then there's people that are managing artists and yeah, you're, you're like, you're, you are giving your, your life up to them to a certain extent and you have to be okay with it or you have to be, I'd I'd say that it's like, it's hard to train an artist to not expect you to be available. Some people can do it and some artists can accept it and that's great, but some can't and, and it, it is tough. It's definitely uh, challenging for sure. And figuring out how to, how to look out for your kids. I mean, my ex-husband was a musician too. So he was always gone on tour and my parents are like the only reason that I was able to keep doing what I was doing. Cause I would travel a lot as well. And uh, they were always here for me and for my kids. And that's the best. Like it, it helped me so much. I mean, now I'm definitely trying to be around more and, and just sort of more there, but, but yeah, it's hard. And especially when you're growing a business, it's that much harder because you have, you're always thinking about it. Like it's always on my mind and, and like, we're lucky that Dine Alone got to the place that we've gotten to so far. And we've gotten to work with all the amazing artists we've worked with and like, you know, it's successful, but it does, it takes so much energy. And when you're, it's like, you know, you, you're working at it like it's your own company or it's, you know, when you're a manager, you're looking at it like you're part of the band in a lot of cases. And so yeah, it becomes your life. It's tough, but it's doable. hundred percent. And it's also probably one of those things where people are like, you should take a vacation, but you're like, well, I like doing what I'm doing, but <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to like understand that it, it is okay. Like it definitely, depending on the type of person you are, it's like, of course you should take a vacation, but yeah. Are you going to be more stressed on a vacation than you are at home? Like, is that where, but yeah, you, you do like, as time goes on, you figure it out. You're like, okay, fuck. Yeah. Like this, you know, I don't want to burn myself out. I need to take this time. Now I 
didn't take time very often, if at all, I don't know, but I don't expect that of anybody else that worked with me. <laughs> like I think me and Joel, because we, this was like the companies are our babies and like the artists are like, you know, we're so connected to everything. Like I'd say me, Joel and Trisha, it's uh, the people on the management side definitely are stuck with this sort of, uh, mentality. And like, it is, you know, you're always on, but at least like the, my like label staff and everybody that worked with me, they could, they could take, take some moments and actually go on vacation and things like that. So I think it's hard for any, like even like small business owner, it'd be hard to take a break. Like my parents own their own company and you know, they'd come home from work, but then they're still talking about work. And it's like, I, I don't know if, you know, if it's your own thing and you care so much about it, if you can ever get it out of your head fully, but yeah, it just depends on how you like control it and let it affect you and exhaustion, uh, recognizing when you're getting exhausted and needing a break. Mm -hmm. And it's totally like varies person to person and what you want out of life, right? Like I often think like totally people either in regards to their career, like find a career to that is what they want out of their life or find a career that allows them to get what they want out of their life after work. Yeah, totally. And I, I can totally see that. Like it's, you know, I get the, the, like the dude that goes to work and say does construction from nine to five and goes home and he made a ton of money and gets to be with his family and his kids. And like, I'm like, I totally get that. That's what, like that would make sense. And I get why this makes sense for me. And, and that's why it's like, yeah, management is, you have to be the right person and be willing to, to put that much into it. I'm not saying that for a label you don't, but it, it's different. It just depends on the role, right? Like there's different jobs in each one, but when you're involved in management, it's, uh, it's a lot, but it's also like so rewarding when, when you can connect dots and, and see things happen. And you're usually working from like the ground up for the most part. And it's, you just see the, the growth and it's like, and you see more people getting familiar with this artist or this band. And it's just like, it's, yeah, it's just like the best thing ever. <laughs> Are you still with Dynalone? Cause you're also at the orchard now, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm like transitioning out. So I moved to the orchard uh, a month ago and it was, that was probably like one of the hardest decisions uh, in my life to do. And I'm super excited and, and super happy for it. But like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still connected to everybody at Dine Alone and at, at Bedlam, but I definitely, I don't get to see them as often. So I'm, I'm missing them a ton, but it, the, the good thing is like, now I get to kind of, I get to help lots of companies and lots of bands and, and be a part of, many different releases and it's like going to open my sort of musical world. Like I was definitely in a, like I, I had nothing. I, all the stuff we did didn't really have much to do with country at all. And now like the orchard has a bunch of great country stuff in Canada. And so, you know, I'm going to diving into that world and like, there's all this other music that I'm going to come across now. That's it. It just, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's kind of opened me up to 
the world as well, more so. Um, like Dine Alone, we were doing stuff in, like around the world. We were putting out releases globally, but this is, uh, it's just another opportunity for me to be in the room with people in around the world because the Orchard has like 43 offices around the world and getting to meet all those people and just seeing what they're creating in those, in these different regions and countries and everything. Like it's, it's crazy. Like there's so much happening around the world. It just, it just shows me like how small we are and what, not how small what we were doing is, but it, because there's a lot of great stuff happening, but it's like, there's just so much more out there. And, and yeah, I, I really like, I hope I get to help a lot of, uh, partners in Canada that to like help them grow their business, whether they're artists or managers or other labels or whoever is like any of our partners. That's like, I would love to be a part of that. And, uh, and then like with the Dynalone stuff, like it was great, the kind of the timing for me to move over. I felt like it was good for everybody else that worked with me to kind of step up. Um, cause I'd been there for so long and I was running all of our companies and, and it's, it, you know, they're, they're small, but they weren't that small. We had about like, I'd say 14 to 20 employees, um, over the last couple of years. And, you know, you get to a certain point, we're not a major label, so we don't have all these different levels of like, you're a marketing manager. Now you're a director of marketing. Now you're this, that, whatever. And so it was kind of like a good time to, um, sort of elevate everybody else by me shifting out. It's like, I could give parts of my job to like four other people and be like, okay, now you have to step it up and now you're the GM and now you're in charge of all the financial stuff and now you're doing this. And, and I think all of them were ready for that, which is great because I wouldn't have felt good, uh, shifting roles if they weren't. And it was like, I think the timing was worked out where I felt that they could handle it. And, uh, and I think they were like excited about it. Right. Because it just, they were probably excited and scared because all of a sudden they're like, Oh shit. Now it's like my responsibility to make these decisions. But at the same time, I'm like, I know you can make these decisions. You just have to believe in yourself and do it. So it's just, everybody gets like caught up in, you know, whoever it is that, in their world that is making the decisions. It's like, Oh, well now I, I don't know if I could trust myself to make that and not get in trouble for it or, or know that it's the right thing. And like what I would just always say to them is like, all you can do is learn from the decision you make and make the decision based on all the information you have and hope that it's the best one. But if it's not, you learn from it and make a better one next time. But it's like, you can't ever, really like you can't regret your decisions or it's best that you don't and and that you just like learn from them and keep moving forward because it's like anytime anybody would come to me to decide on something I you know maybe I would make a different decision than somebody else but and I wouldn't know that it's the best one I just would based on every all the information I had that's I felt confident enough to just do it and I think that's like it'll help all of them grow in that way which is great with the orchard um would you mind just for any listeners who we've like touched on the orchard a little bit dino and i when we did an episode together um but for anyone who doesn't know what is the orchard and also what is the role that you've moved into there so uh the orchard is a distribution company 
um, global distribution company. It's grown a lot in the last couple of years. There used to be, so Sony owns it and, um, there are, yeah, tons of offices around the world. Red music used to be uh, Sony's distribution arm in North America. And when Sony owned the orchard, then it kind of like, they just were like, we're going to just brand it all one thing instead of having all these different brands functioning around the world. So the orchard kind of took that on and then had their like, you know, has all the tech stuff they were doing before, but then added to the creative team that red brought as well. And, uh, so they've just been growing, um, in Canada, it was, there was always like this Sony distribution arm and it was tied to red. But then when the orchard, when that, the whole rebranding happened, it just, that it became the orchard in Canada. But I don't, um, I don't know if it was a full sort of, you know, uh, rebrand. It was really just like smacking the name on it. It was the same people that had been doing, uh, the role for a long time. And so now some people have shifted roles and moved to other places and things like that. And so I came in, um, to this like VP role, uh, and basically I'm like running the orchard in Canada. So I'm building like a new team and, um, just kind of have like some new, I want to say mandates, but goals and things for the territory. And, you know, for me, I just want to make sure that the Canadians matter to the rest of the world. And if we have a global deal with somebody that the rest of the world knows what's coming and trying to connect the dots to like, you know, what other territories make sense for this release. And because everything is so accessible now globally that you have to play in this bigger sandbox. You can't, just focus on Canada. Like you put something out in Canada, it, everybody in the world is going to be able to hear it or see it or whatever it is. So you have to think globally now. It doesn't necessarily make sense to spend tons of money in every territory that exists, but you just have to think with a that kind of in the back of your mind and and as you're strategizing for releases and and so you know I just want to make sure that the Canada has a place in that bigger world and people know what's coming out of Canada. But yeah, so I'm I, at Dynalone. I was, uh, my role was VP. Um, but I had, I'd shifted so many, like I'd been there for 15 years. So things had changed. Like I was a manager, I was, uh, running the label. I was, I don't know. I think I've never had this thing with titles. I, in the indie world, it feels weird to me. Cause it's like, are you going to be called a manager if you're not really managing anybody? Or are you going to be called a director if there's nobody underneath you? And when the like companies are small, so it never, I remember me and Joel would always go to meetings at like our distribution partners or other places. And it'd be like, okay, everybody introduce yourselves. And like, what's your role? And like our marketing manager would be like, I'm the marketing manager. And like, it'd get to me and Joel and we're like, uh, you know, we just do stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're here. We are here. <laughs> yeah, we just do whatever we need to do. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, am I like CFO, COO, and CEO? Like, I, I have no idea. Like, it's just a different thing. So, yeah, by the end of it, it's like Joel was president and I was vice president. <laughs> but does that describe what we did? Nah, I don't know. We kind of just did everything. So, so yeah, so now I'm... VP of the orchard. And so the same thing, I'm like, I'm 
want to be involved in everything. Now there's not necessarily a management side, but um, just with everywhere the industry is going and things that are shifting, I think that distribution is going to be um, partnering with managers a lot more than it might've in the past. And labels are, you know, ton like managers are starting labels or artists are starting labels and artists are just putting out their own music. And so a lot of, a lot of things are shifting. And so I think I, well, I hope, and I plan to still be able to kind of help and dig in on things as much as I can when it comes to releases and things like that. That's so cool. Yeah. It's, um, it sounds like you were saying how like managers are like getting a lot more involved with distribution and stuff. That sound that was something that Dino and I talked about a little bit. Um, just kind of how the role of a distributor is changing because of streaming and things like that, and how it label services and things like that are kind of more popular because there are so many indie and independent artists. And yeah, it's really cool to hear some of the work that goes on. Yeah, and it, like I mean, even the the whole grant system in Canada is like shifting as well to kind of. I don't want to say accommodate it, but like, uh, to be able to work with it and you know, they're, they call it their modernization. So it's just recognizing that there's all these other players in the space as well. So, yeah. What are some of the projects that you have coming up this year, either with Dine Alone or the orchard or whatever? Uh, well, the sitting color release is coming out in October and he's touring Canada and doing some dates in the States as well. So that's super exciting. And the record is amazing. Um, there's yeah, tons of other stuff like raccoon tours came out already, but they're going to be, um, in Toronto. They were in Vancouver in July and they're going to be in Toronto in September. Um, so that's exciting because they hadn't released music for so long. And there's this newer, um, band called Amber run. That's, that I think is really amazing. And uh, they're playing Toronto in November. Um, oh my God, there's like, there's so many things coming out. Like I can't even, yeah, so much stuff. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And thanks again to Lisa for coming onto the podcast. I've linked to the show notes for the episode in the description, so check those out for photos, links, and other media on the topics that we discussed during the episode, as well as upcoming releases and tours by some of the artists that Lisa works with. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform. They really do help. And if you have any topics that you'd like me to bring up with one of our next guests, please either email me at offkey at membrand.net, or you can send me a message at either Membrand Labs or Links Arnold on Instagram. Offkey and Fault Tolerant, our sibling podcast on tech and blockchain, are both produced by Membrane Entertainment Canada, aka Membrane Labs, a music services company that provides distribution services for the export of Canadian music. We are also exploring blockchain technology to create a more transparent and secure ecosystem for music's rights owners to get paid. If you're interested in recording your own podcast at Membrane Labs, you can find out more information on our website, www.membranelabs.com. Otherwise, that is it for now, and I will see you next Monday where I'll be chatting with the musician Noah Dirksen. Thanks.